Hi everyone and welcome to another Hawks Insiders Safe Space. Uh, we are joining with you on a Tuesday night for something different. I'm your host for the night. Uh, my name's Andrew Weiss. For those of you who might recognise the voice but might not know who I am, and I will be steering the ship tonight with Ash unavailable, omitted from the team. Uh, so bear with us as we take you through this Tuesday night and have a look ahead at, at the season ahead uh, from a brown and gold lens, make a few predictions. As always, we want this to be a discussion. We want to hear from you guys. We want you to chip in with uh, some of your crystal ball ideas on what we're going to see throughout the year. Um, so please make sure you join with us. Before we get into tonight's agenda, I want to welcome the panel once again, uh, co-host and one of the brains behind the insiders, Darren Levine. Welcome, Darren. Uh, hi, Andrew. That was very generous, the brains, but um, I'll, I'll take it. And thanks, everyone, for joining us on Tuesday. It does feel like Friday is tomorrow, and then I have to kind of pinch myself and realise that it's uh, just Wednesday, so... See how we go tonight. With the added benefit of a few days of work, but nights of footy every single night along the way, though, right? That's the point, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Cannot wait for, for Thursday night to talk about footy again, for the city to, um, for Melbourne to, to be pumping with footy, coming out of bars and pubs again, and hopefully to get back in the G again on Sunday. Absolutely. Someone else who can't wait for Thursday night. Uh, a lot of you would know him as the provider of your in-season weekly selection dissection, Brad Klebanski. A very warm welcome to you this evening. Thanks, boys. Looking forward to it. The countdown's on. Can't wait for Sunday. Can't come quick enough. Can't come quick enough, and we'll get into your head when we talk about some of the upcoming selections, who we want to see play, who we might see debut in the early rounds. Uh, we'll talk about the injury update, but you must be pretty excited to see how we settle over the first few rounds with our lineup. Absolutely. Big changes coming from uh, last year. Clean slate for Sammy. I'm excited for Sunday. We'll only get the team about, what, about 5 o'clock Friday night. But I've got a feeling we're going to see a couple of new faces in the team come Friday night, which is really exciting for us. It is very exciting, and we'll touch base on that a little bit more as we do some of the predictions for the year and have a look at when some of our debutantes might be gracing the field. Danny Prins, good evening to you again, as always. Evening, Weesey. Evening, team. Good to be here. Now, what are you more excited about? The fact that uh, the brains behind setting up some Hawks inside a super coach league has absolutely taken off and we're oversubscribed or footy being back? Uh, far and away, footy being back. I'm actually I'm a super coach pack, mate. Um, I do I do enjoy it. It is good fun, and it's nice to connect with people on a different level. But uh, bring on the real stuff! Absolutely, bring on the real stuff. And 
Give me all of the Kane Corns articles possible, please. Well, we will certainly get into Kane Corns and articles throughout the evening. Obviously, again, as we've mentioned, Ash is not on board tonight, so it is a Damien Barrett and Kane Corn safe space this evening, uh, and we might touch on that a bit later as well. Uh, so before we get into looking ahead at this season, um, I'm not sure how many people have uh, actually seen on the website. The injury update got released a couple of hours ago on the Hawthorne website, and the key takeaways ahead of round one were that Tommy Mitchell and Jager O'Meara have both been listed as available, um, and, and physical performance manager Luke Boyd did say that um, that they're both expected to play. So that's really good news. Um, the update listed CJ as, um, as, as being a test. But again, Luke Boyd mentioned that he went really well on the weekend, got some good minutes in, and that his recovery has gone really, really well and that he was back in skill sessions with all of the boys today. So... That was good news. Also, that um, that Will Dave listed as one to two weeks away and Jarman Impey only two weeks away as well. So after the last couple of weeks, that's pretty good news. And Brad, I'll, I'll come to you. Sounds like CJ might be a formality for round one. Yep. Yep. Uh, CJ, I would say, is just about a lock now to play, which is great news. We really need, we're going to need his run down back. Bramble's a bit of a worry. Uh, those mixed uh, reports, if you watch the video from the report, I'm pretty sure the graphic had him, I think, four to five weeks, but then when it was listed, he's now TBC, which is never good. So I think his foot injury is a lot worse than they thought it's, than they would have first, you know, than what was first uh, reported and expected. Days one to two weeks, as I said last week, I'd be very surprised if he plays senior footy before round four, but hopefully I'm wrong. But it's good to see uh, Jager and uh, Tommy Mitchell will definitely be out there on Sunday, which is good. We're going to need them against uh, North's up-and-coming midfield. But CJ, I would say, is a lock, which is great news. CJ, a lock. If you're wrong about one of those guys, hopefully it's Will Day and we see him pre-round four. But I kind of feel like you might be right about Bramble, because even in terms of the vision, and I think Boyd says he started off in a moon boot, which was for protection, and it kind of felt like the update on his progress was more about getting everyone to stay positive than a reality that we're going to see him anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we're not going to see Bramble for quite a while. It's a shame because he was arguably one of our best plays the back half of last season was by all report all uh, reports flying this preseason and he's an, he became an important uh, player but the one positive it is 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 we do have good depth in that position the unfortunate thing is is they're all hurt at the moment but come round say four or five uh, day and, and Impey should both be back CJ hopefully will be fully fit by then as well and we'll have you know our best the majority of our best players on the park. For sure. Now, the thing about that is, though, sorry to jump in, is um, the club not being transparent again on 
injuries, and I think uh, you know that th- they may not have a definite time frame, and that's fair enough. But again, we, we're kind of just you know in in the total dark about what's going on, and I thought they were supposed to usher in a new era of transparency. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, uh, Sammy did say a few weeks ago, you know, he was going to be more transparent. As we know, uh, Clarko wasn't great uh, with uh, injuries, even though it wasn't him uh, delivering us uh, the news on a weekly basis. You knew it came from him and at the top in, yeah, for many years, especially the last three or four years. Similar to what Chris Scott does with uh, Geelong, you know, they often would pull a player right before the start of games, before final teams are named. It's mind games, I think, by the you know the more experienced and senior coaches. Luke Beveridge seems to be up uh, with it again uh, this week. I'm not sure if you boys have caught up with the Lockie Hunter story. Well, but, I was just uh, going to ask you yeah. about that in terms of, I mean, do we do we, despite uh, the track record, do we need to just trust what the club is pushing out? Because it, another good friend of the show, Tommy Morris, ran with the story yesterday about Lockie Hunter, um, yeah. and they were pretty strong words about it happening, and, and now he gets named. And I think it was Dunkley earlier today who came out and said, as far as he knows, he's playing. Um, and and Morris has had to, if you have a look at the, the Fox footy article about the team selection, there are a lot of, oh, I can tell you my source was adamant, he was not getting selected and Bevo's allowed to change his mind, so who are we? To... There's a little bit of backtracking. So on one hand, you know, is, is there this element of, well, if we're getting it from the club as the source, we kind of need to trust them because we prefer it to come from them than we would from the Tom Morris kind? Absolutely. At the moment now, because Sammy's new at the club and there's been a lot of change, we have to trust them. So until, you know, we see uh, the yeah, the uh, evidence and proof, we have to trust them. If uh, Will Day only comes back in round eight, then, you know, obviously questions are going to be asked. Um, but at the moment now, we trust them. Just on the Tommy Morris thing, though, as well, I actually feel a bit sorry for him. I've worked very closely with a lot of journalists. I've been on that side and I've been on uh, the other side. And he doesn't go with a story like that if he doesn't, you know, have a very good source and check his source. Unfortunately for journos, things change really quickly within a 24-hour period. He's copped a big time on social media. And I've seen it happen with uh, Caroline uh, Wilson, Damien Barrett's actually a really good uh, mate of mine. I've worked very closely with him as well. And they cop it quite a lot. They can go uh, with the story and it can change an hour later. Doesn't mean their story was wrong. Because Lockie Hunt has been uh, named. When Tom Morris went with that story, he's got it from someone within uh, the club. He doesn't make that up. He's been told that that's what had happened. Things change. And we know with footy, things change quickly. So... You know, he's, he's going to... You're kind of damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, right? But it's his 100%. job and it happens to break the sources based on the information Absolutely. that he's got at hand. And what you'll see time and time again is a journal will break a really big story, whether it's Caroline or Damien or Tommy Morris or Daniel Cherney, uh, who's a friend of our show. When they break a good story, all they get in a return is if you throw it enough darts, 
will eventually it hit a bullseye or something like that. They don't get the credit that they deserve. So I get and it. And I think I get part up. of that is, you know, like we all hold on to stories that we're not bitter about, but, you know, in my head listening to you talk about Tom Morris... I'm still waiting for Tom Mitchell to run out in Richmond colours in a couple nights' time because, you know, around 12 last year, it was guaranteed that, that he was gone. So uh, I think siphoning through the differences between um, the actual quality of a source within an article to make it actually more believable as a story at the time versus... The, the words used around that he could and it might be possible and this could play out where it's pure muckraking. Mm. And apparently Lockie Hunter was really upset about the um, the demon singing freed from desire. He didn't, didn't want to get back on the ground. So <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah. he's, it's, let's just all pour one out for him tonight. <laughs> just, uh, sure. just bringing the bamboo thing I'm bringing it back around to the Bramble thing. Um, the Hawks don't seem to know what's going on with Bramble either because if you look in the article, it says TBC, but if you look in the video, it says four to five weeks. So um, they seem to not be able to get their story straight on Bramble either. Yeah, and it's hard to tell whether that is, you know, when was when was the video created? Who from the comms department's putting the graphic versus the video together? Uh, I don't necessarily personally read too much more into it other than he's out for a very long time. So whichever way you look at it, four to five, which is quarter of a season and can clearly be longer, or TBC, he's not playing for a long time. So... You know, the flip side is seeing the one to two weeks on Will Day and the two weeks on MP, the significance of A, CJ potentially playing round one, and B, at least one of those other two getting back for round three v Carlton so that we can get that run and carry off the back line. So I think that's enough about the injuries for now. Tonight is... Uh, more about a season preview, what lies ahead, making some predictions. Um, and I draw attention to, uh, as is the case around a lot of media circles at the moment, the AFL, the different papers, uh, all having their people put out their predictions for the season ahead so that at the end of the year we can unpack them and see just how silly we were when we were putting these all together. But we're going to go through a number of uh, the items that we had um, in the season predictions, uh, have a little chat about them. Again, as I mentioned, and as always, we'd love to hear from you guys. Make sure you hit the request to speak button and Darren will bring you on. Questions, comments, thoughts we want to hear if you think we've got it wrong if you've got some other left field suggestions and what we're expecting for the season ahead so i'm actually i know i've already asked a couple of questions of you tonight brad but i'm going to start with you and looking at our win loss ratio um they were all pretty similar from all of us, but you had us with the best result predicting a 17-15 win-loss record. So starting with you, 
talk us through that and talk us through if everything went right, how how much further do you think that could stretch? Well, my 715 uh, record was actually a positive. I think best case scenario will win uh, eight or nine games. Uh, I think we're going to start quite slowly. I think we'll really, uh, I think we'll win more games in the back half of uh, the season. I think it's going to take Sam, I think Darren's spoken about this a bit, and you, uh, Lacey, as well. I think it's going to take a good six to eight weeks for him to find that right mix. Obviously, there's been quite a lot of change. We're going to see a lot of young, new guys play in the first few rounds. Uh, and particularly, like I mentioned last week, I think the forward line is going to take time uh, to shape up. So I think the first 10 weeks of the season, unfortunately, is going to be a bit of a tough slog. I think if we can get, I reckon if we're, I reckon we'll probably be three and seven at the heart, you know, after the first 10 rounds, I reckon it's not going to look good on paper, but I still think there's going to be a lot of uh, positives. I think we're going to really see guys like Ward come in and make an impact. Uh, Connor McDonald, you know, Connor McDonald's going to have a big impact. Uh, Jecker, I think we'll see play a few games. Uh, Granger, Granger Barras, I hope, can play, you know, the first at least, you know, five, six games. Uh, but my 7 and 15, I think, was quite positive. I think most of you guys thought we'd be, at best, you know, five or six wins. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, I do think we are going to finish bottom four. I think most of the experts out there are tipping us for bottom four as well. But I think even if we do finish bottom four, it's not all doom and gloom. I think we do still have another couple of years in the rebuild phase where we really need to hit the draft hard where we've just got to get good uh, top-end talent. I still think the forward line, like I said last week, is a really big problem. I think the midfield's taking good shape. Our back line looks like it's going to be really good when everyone's fully fit. But unfortunately, our best forwards in Gunston and Bruce are coming to an end. And Cozzy and Lewis and Jekka need at least another 30 to 40 games before we know whether or not they're going to make it at the top end of the competition, you know, whether they're going to be your, you know, A-grade key position forwards. Yeah, and we have talked about it last week. Clearly, the forward line's a concern, and we'll get into uh, goal kickers and numbers as part of the predictions, which probably highlights the concerns as well. Daz, you've got us finishing 14th, uh, and Ash, not sure if he was doing a bit of muckraking at at all himself, but he had us finishing dead last and claiming the spoon. Daz, with that 14th, do, do you feel like the momentum from the end of last year is completely dried up and we're starting from scratch? And in terms of the four teams that you've got us sitting ahead, who are the teams that you, in your mind, know that we will finish above this year? Yeah, good question. I think um, <clears throat> a bit of the enthusiasm that I had at the start of the preseason kind of evaporated in those preseason hitouts. And I think you can't really read much into them, but the issues that came up in both of those games, I think, were things that, that, that had kind of troubled the team last year. So that sort of disconnection between the midfield and the forwards, sometimes our our, our just inability to actually win the footy, I think, is is a real problem. So I didn't see anything in the preseason hitouts that really showed that we'd address those problems. 
It's also a team that really loves to set up from the back, um, which is concerning because some of our best ball users and um, kind of fastest players uh, from the back line are, are kind of missing in those first few rounds. So I'm just worried that we'll try be try and in, implement a sort of game plan on the run given given the outs and um, you know come round six maybe have have won a game the game against North because um, it's it's just hard to see where the other wins are going to come from. So definitely less bullish now than I was at the start of the preseason, that's for sure. Um, and in terms of teams, we'll finish higher. Um, I, I think we've got to finish higher than, than the Suns. I think they're in all sorts of trouble. Um, and I can't really see... The pressure's going to start mounting on G if they lose the first few games as well. Um, I think, yeah, Collingwood... Collingwood I don't think is a good team, and I think they um, had a really good game against us in the preseason. But I just think there's just too many square pegs and round round holes in that team, and I think we're better. Um, and who else? Yeah, North. I mean, they've they've definitely got a core of great young players coming through, um, especially in the midfield and, and and up front, up forward as well. But I think we should be able to finish above North. Are you expect? Are you expecting us to finish above the Crows? Uh yeah. I, 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 I mean, Adelaide. I'm, I'm, I'm just struggling to think how they've gotten much better in the in the off season. I don't think they've sort of added the talent that we have through the off season um, in terms of draftees. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think we probably should finish above Adelaide, and you know, obviously with Walker having the year that he had last year and who knows what headspace is going to personally don't think he should be coming back into the AFL in any form at all. Um, and then the drop off of, of the Sloans of the world. I, I, I think we should probably finish higher than Adelaide. Rochelle's uh, a good pickup for them and um, a good first year player, but yeah, let, let's, uh, I'm hope, hopeful that we'll finish above the Crows. For sure. Prinzi, I've got a question for you. We talked about the forward line and how our forward line is going to function um, this year in terms of a prediction for our leading goal kicker. Same as a number of the other guys, you've managed to give Mitch Lewis the gong to collect that award on PCM night. Uh the worrying thing is you predicted that he'll kick 35 as the spearhead of our attack. Talk us through that. Yeah, and firstly, I hope I don't sound like I'm underwater or in a cave like Daz said I have been. No, you're um, all good now, Quincy. Hey, hello. It just took three turns. Um, so I think that's the biggest concern right now, right, is that our forward setup is just so... There's so many question marks around it, right? And... You know, we've got these two um, young uh, developing key tools in Lewis and Cozzy, but you've got the added mix of having to fit your captain into a team when he's a ruckman who's going to be mainly playing as a forward. So does that knock one of those guys off the ball? If so, it's probably Kaczynski. You're also adding Gunston back into the mix, but Gunston's a year older coming off a long-term back injury. Um, We can't expect... Um, Luke Bruce to just keep doing what he's doing. Um, so, you know, you need somebody like um, Lewis to step up and, and and kick 40, 50 plus, but I just haven't seen enough signs from him that he's going to be able to do that. So I settled on mid-30s and 
uh, and for Lewis, but I think it's going to be a spread of goal kickers again this year, like it was last year. But I think scoring is going to be our biggest challenge. And Brad, you obviously agree with that because we had four of the six of us um, choose Mitch Lewis as a leading goal kicker. You and I went different ways. You've nominated Luke Bruce with 35 goals for the year, which if that happens, the concerns are very, very real. Yeah, well, that's my thinking around that was, is I think we'll see a rotation of Lewis, uh, Cozzy and uh, Jekka, I think, will play quite a bit. We've also got uh, Callow, uh, the Tassie boy, who's probably going to get a run as well. So I think those key tools are going to rotate. And they're still raw and quite young in terms of how many games that they've played. So when we come up against the better sides, those guys are going to get your key, you know, uh, defenders, you know, um, the real top-end quality defenders, where Luke Bruce is just that type of player who usually bobs up, he kicks, you know, your you know, two or three goals. Uh, I think, I just think he's going to hopefully play all the games. And I think he's our classiest forward. He can play a little taller uh, than he is. But um, I just think for the way we're going to set up and the way Sam's going to look to find his best 22, I just don't think, as Princey said, I just can't see any of those key position forwards kicking more than, say, you know, 25 to 30 goals, which is a problem. You really need your key position forwards, you know, at the wor- at worst case, kicking 40-plus. And I just, I just can't see it happening. Yeah, I think very similarly to you in that I have gone for Dylan Moore to be our leading goal kicker and I've probably been slightly generous giving him 40 goals for the season. I feel like there will be the forward rotation, I think, working out who... Uh, the number one defender goes to will be different every week. The consistency in the, the the consistent guys in the team are going to be Brucey and Maury. I love Moore's second half of the year last year. We all now know officially that he's elite. For me, it's just going to be a matter of whether or not we are playing good enough footy and winning some games of footy like we did in the back end of the year that. He has that freedom off the half-forward flank running up and down the ground to continue to slot them through. We see. can I ask you a question? Um, Mitch Lewis, if he doesn't have a big season this year and he doesn't kick 40 goals, is that the end of the Mitch Lewis experiment? Or in terms of maybe not as a player full stop, but being the number one key forward? And does that make us pivot and have a look for a new key forward in the draft? It's a really good question. I don't think it would be enough to go the Mitch Lewis experiment is over. It would potentially be enough to stop pinning the forward line around him being the hope moving forward. Clearly, we've done that previously. He had the massive um, pre-season in the lead up to Christmas and has been somewhat disappointed in the couple of hitouts we've had albeit um, has had plenty of opportunities. The Richmond game, he actually looked pretty good if he kicked straight, would have done okay. I don't know that it would necessarily be the end of the experiment, Prinzi, but I think that others may then leapfrog him and he might have to do his work putting in the hard yards again, coming in through Box Hill. But, you know, I think the biggest concerns are 
once Kyle Hardigan goes, who we've got in terms of a big brute defender, and similarly everything that we're talking about from the forward line, if the Mitch Lewis experiment doesn't work, I think most of us like Cozzy, but don't necessarily see him yet as that forward that you pin your whole forward line on. Gunston's not getting younger. We know big boy's going to spend some time down there this year. What are we going to do? Brad, Daz, what do you think? Well, the interesting word is experiment, and I think Cozzy is, is really the experiment as a forward. Um, his first year um, really playing in the seniors and playing as a, as a forward. Um, obviously, he was drafted as a backman, so maybe, you know, if it's not working for Cozzy up front, I'd still give him more than just this year, but, you know, that, that could be an option of reverting back to that role. But he was clearly nowhere near the, the senior side playing as a backman. So, um, yeah, it really is quite quite a conundrum in terms of um, our back and, and for the, the big brute back and um, forward stocks. For sure. Now, again, please, if anyone wants to contribute, has any thoughts the whole way through, please hit the request button. We want to hear from you. All of our stuff's already out there, but we want to know what you guys are thinking on these subjects as well. While you're on the mic, Daz, turning to some more, um, more of a positive prediction... You've got the Warpedo winning the Crimmins medal. Talk to us. Yeah, I th- that's more of an a- aspiration than actual something that may happen in reality. I think um, I would just love to see Warps get back to that PCM winning form. And I think he, he's, he's, he's kind of he's had a great preseason by all accounts and, and really... You know, maybe the pressure from from the wards and the McDonald's sort of coming through the ranks will kind of put that fire up him to 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 really cement that spot down in the midfield. So, I think Warps has got a lot to prove this year, and I, and I think he'll rise to the challenge. I think under Mitchell, I think he's going to really going to really thrive. Well, then on that to Brad and Prinzi, and both of you guys, like me, put down Titch as the PCM winner for this year. Um, the, as Darren said, to paraphrase what he just said, the more of a hope than anything, he went for warps. Simon Morowitz, who's unfortunately unavailable to join us tonight, he went with Jager and Ash put forward the Chad as winning. So Chad, Warple, Jager, which of those three do you guys think would be the best chance of winning the PCM? I reckon I would say probably Chad. Uh, Jager's not consistent enough, and unfortunately he can't get through a full season without missing games through an injury or a rest, which is going to happen again uh, this season. I know it gets fans quite disappointed and angry, but unfortunately with his injury history to his knee, we have uh, no choice. Uh, Daz Warple, in my opinion, is uh, wishful thinking. I think he's... I reckon he's in danger. If he doesn't perform in the first three to four weeks, he's going to lose his spot in the side. It's bet- um, we've got young players like Ward, McDonald, uh, McGuinness, uh, Seamus Mitchell, uh, I think there's Josh. There's, just, there's a few younger guys who are going to get a go. And I think Ward's going to hold his spot in the side. Liam Shields, as we know, is coming to the end, but we're going to need 
at his experience. Jager and Titch at a locks. I think Chad Wingard's going to play a lot in the midfield. And I'd like Ash's left of field thinking. I think Wingard, if he can stay fit, and it's a big if, unfortunately, he's, you know, suffered a few soft tissue injuries in the last couple of seasons. But out of our whole list, he's probably the one that has the biggest uh, X factor. I just went with Titch because of his uh, consistency. You know he's going to get 30 to 35 uh, touches a game. Uh, He's always in our top three best players every week. And when you're a team who's probably only going to win between, say, five and eight games, he's probably going to be our best player most weeks. But Chad's definitely the player. If he plays a full season, you know, he can get, say, average 20 touches and a goal a game. I reckon he's an important player. He's one of our most important players because we really lack that player with X factor front of centre. So the narrative around Chad absolutely fascinates me because I love him. Like, I love him as a footballer. But the narrative that because he's got the X factor in a, in a growing, developing midfield, he needs to maybe spend more time forward with some of those forward issues that we've talked about. I feel like his best footy for us has come when he has spent, you know, 40% of his time going through the midfield and, and those last five or six games through the year last year where he was back to, you know, the, the Chad that we traded, what we traded to get him, I feel it was as much about what he was doing through the midfield and what he was setting up moving forward than he was as a pure forward prinzy. Yeah, I was actually going to say that uh, when you threw to me. I think the thing that'll either help Chad or stop Chad from winning a PCM is how much midfield time he plays. If they play him predominantly as a small forward, he won't win it. His best football for us is absolutely far and away when he plays sort of 70% midfield game time and 30% resting on a half-forward flank. He's able to impact the game more. He's great in traffic. He can weave through opposition players. And he's he like we've said, he's our most creative. Um, so, but so what's yeah. intriguing with that is if Sammy is thinking about three, four, five years' time and our midfield, again, how much midfield time do you give to a Chad Wingard now versus some of the other players and getting more into a Nash who could be part of the next midfield, successful midfield moving forward. So it's a really good question. I think we'll see over the course of the first six weeks, Daz touched on the fact that we are probably looking at, you know, without being too pessimistic, there's probably one win in the first six to eight weeks. Um, and that's if we win round one and that's a coin flip for my, for me. Um, if it, he'll, Mitchell will probably start with his uh, key men in key positions, uh, the Mitchells, the O'Meara's, the Wingards, the Warples. If it doesn't work, if we're getting smashed out of the middle, I think what you'll see from Mitchell that we didn't see from Clarkson is experimentation. That'll mean O'Meara off a half-forward flank. That'll mean um, Wingard playing in a forward pocket. Um, you know, and getting Ward and McDonald and Newcomb and Nash and McGuinness some time through the middle to see what they can do and if they can sort of stem the flow. So um, it's a watch this space for me, Weesey, but I think there is some legitimacy around what you're asking and it'll 
it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. And then similarly, it's so hard to judge us on, you know, we've just talked about our season prediction for wins and losses, where if certain players get a certain amount of games and we're able to get more understanding of game plan, the best rotations through the back flank, how DGB goes into that back line, what the midfield looks like, if those questions are closer to being answered, then it actually doesn't matter how many games of footy we win. So, um, Stuart, thanks for holding on. You've got a question for the guys. Yeah, it's a bit glass half empty in here tonight, isn't it, guys? Um, to, just a quick one on Mitch Lewis. I, I understand the, the pessimism because we haven't seen a number of goals in the in the pre-season, but from what I saw, he had he had quite a few shots, and the ball still hasn't been coming into the forward line better than last year. It was still still bomb it long and hope for the best in a lot of ways. So I'm I'm a little bit more optimistic than you guys on on him, and I think that my biggest concern with the with the forward line at the moment is is big boy more than anything else. Um, it's a really, it's a really good one, Stu. And I'll, um, I'll just um, track back to my initial comment or the question that I asked Weesey around Mitch Lewis. Is got probably nothing to do with his preseason because I agree with you. I think he's um, crashed packs hard and clunked a few big marks. His kicking for goal hasn't been great, but you know overall he hasn't been too bad. My, I guess, concern around uh, Mitch Lewis is that we see these flashes of a complete AFL forward in Mitch Lewis each season over a short period of the season. And then he reverts to, um, will he make it Mitch Lewis? So my question is more about if it doesn't click for him this year, and I'm not saying it will or it won't, but if it doesn't, um, what then for the Mitch Lewis experiment? So I guess that's where I'm at with that one. With, with the big boy one, I absolutely agree with you. I think we've backed ourselves into a really tough, rock and a hard place kind of situation with him because we've said he can't play full-time ruck and he needs to play key forward, but he's not a good enough key forward to play as an ongoing key forward. And he takes minutes away from, you know, the Kaczynski's and the Lewis playing in those positions as well. And he clogs up and makes our forward line very tall. So I think there's a real issue there. And I, uh, I think if that's where you're sort of hinting at, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah, I think, I think we're going in, I think we'd like to see Kazitsi or Jekka in as the as the second tall um, for for the future's sake. Um, but yeah, I, I just I can't see I can't see Big Boy moving. He he just doesn't move as well as he used to. He's old, um, so uh, I I can't see that being an issue. And let's just hope that no one punches um, Mitch in the head this year. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of things with that, Stuart. Uh... He's still young. We're going to finish this season and he's still going to be 23 years old. And whilst in the context of someone who's been on a list for four or five years, if you're not consistently providing it an output, you know, that might raise some questions. But at 23 years old, having someone with the body, with the frame, with the game's experience and knowing the ability of what he can do... I'm I'm with you. I'm still positive. I still think he 
is going to make it and I still think he's got plenty of time. With Big Boy, what we definitely can't see, I was furious when in the practice match he went back even just for five minutes into defence. And I know for the pre-season you haven't had Kyle Hart again. and But if if we're reverting to put him into the back line to plug a gap in the season proper, then the question around what role does he have in the team and why is he carrying the spot of someone else, like that for me is going to raise all sorts of questions. Well, I think... Yeah, I think you'll find if you go back and have a look at, uh, and I don't know when it was or anything, but I remember him going back in the forward line working a bit better, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if that's, uh, <laughs> that's more of a tick for him being a defender or more of a tick for him not being in the forward line. Uh, there's nothing um, about yay defence or, or there on You're the, the one. You're the one, Stuart, who said it's half empty in here tonight. So we're just trying to... Keep it a bit more positive. Keep it positive. Thanks for the uh-huh. thanks for the comments, Stuart. If anyone thanks else all. has um, anything they want to contribute, please jump in. Mora, you've joined us at the right time because I've got a couple of crystal ball questions for you. How are you feeling tonight? Very well. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I'm a bit late, boys. Not at all. Now, we know you like causing... Uh, well, you're not causing trouble. You just like to mix things up and keep everyone on their toes and just not necessarily go with the tried and tested what everyone's expecting. So let's look at a couple of your predictions in some areas that we haven't touched on yet. Um, everyone here played it safe with Josh Ward being named as our best first-year player. Mara, you've gone with Connor McDonald. Tell us about that, and you've got him starting in round one. Sorry, it was just a bit crackly there. Um, was that about picking Connor McDonald as the best first-year player? Connor McDonald is the best first-year player, so talk to us about that, and you've got him starting round one. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd put him straight in. I think you give him reward for a very good preseason, um, and I don't know why. I... I hadn't really heard of him, to be honest, before we drafted him. So I've been just, I guess, researching him a bit more perhaps than Ward. And so he's maybe front of mind. Um, but I think also partly it's going to be a, um, an element of difference between expectations and outcomes because um, there's quite heavy expectation on Josh Ward. Um, whereas I think Connor McDonald will have to do less to really turn a lot of people's heads um, and so I think he'll be a very, very impressive player for us and uh, will come away from the end of the season um, extremely excited about him and also um, excited about what Ward can do. But I think straight off the bat, he can walk into the AFL and deliver a bit better than Josh Ward can. How many games are you expecting him to be playing this year? You take a step to your left, Simon. Can everyone else hear me okay? Not great, but does that mean I'm going to have to host this? <laughs> um, not equipped. Um, can everyone hear me okay? Yeah, you're yep. good, Dust. Me too. Oh, I can hear you. You're back, thank God. 
Okay. Um, Simon, I'm not sure if, if you can hear me. Brad and... <laughs> I reckon probably looking at 17, 18 games for Connor McDonald. Okay, and Brad and Daz, you both had him starting round one as well. Yeah, I picked I picked Josh Ward. Uh, I think he's going to go straight in. There's an opportunity for him to cement his spot in the side. I think he reminds me of a young uh, Merritt, Zach uh, Merritt from uh, the Bombers. He's just going to fit in straight away. He already looked in the preseason like he's played 150, 200 games. I think he's not going to play the whole season because he's going to need a bit of a rest. But I reckon he'll play 17 or 18 games. I like Simon's thinking with Connor uh, McDonald. I think there really is a spot for him as well to cement himself in the side from round uh, one. Bramble's obviously out, but injured. Connor Downey's got a hamstring, which is unfortunate. Uh, Tom Phillips, I don't think, is the answer on the wing. Um, so I think uh, McDonald can fit in right away on the wing. And we saw in his TAC Cup days for the Eastern uh, Rangers, he averaged over 30 uh, touches a game. He's a ball uh, magnet. He's got great skills, and we really need to improve. I think Stewie mentioned before in preseason and last year and the year before, our efficiency in disposal inside 50 would have to be bottom three or four in the AFL. So we really need to fix that up. And Tom Phillips, who's a good runner, can bob up and kick a goal. But unfortunately, his disposal, in my opinion, is subpar. He's not at, at AFL uh, level. And I reckon Conor McDonald's the player who's really going to help us with disposal and efficiency inside 50. So, Brad, we talked about, um, about Chad needing to play in the middle and we've now given a significant number of games to Josh Ward and, and to Conor McDonald. We've still got Walks, we've still got Phillips, we've still got Jacob, we've still got Tom Mitchell, um, we've still got Conor Nash... How hard is it going to be to find that perfect combination? And what's going to be harder? Getting our midfield right, getting that forward structure right, or getting our back line right? All of it's going to be hard. I reckon Sammy's got a really tough job. And as I said before, that's why I think the first 10 rounds is going to be really hard because it's all about, it's going to be all about finding the right uh, mix. You know, we've got our depth is not bad. The problem is, is the quality. We don't have that top-end quality. So we get injuries, as we saw last year and the year before. We're not like one of those top-end teams who has the depth where players can uh, come in. If we lose a Tommy Mitchell, you know, we're going to be replacing him with someone like um, a, you know, like Connor Nash, who's going to be there. Um, Finn McGuinness, who's really untried. So... It's all, you know, it's going to be, I reckon it's going to be really hard for Mitchell to find the right uh, mix. To be honest, now, the injury list is not too bad at the moment. So he really is going to have more or less come round three or four, a full complement of players, hopefully. But, you know, it's, he's coming in, he's taking over Clarko, he's going to want to do things his own way. Finding that right mix is going to be really difficult. Daz, what do you think's the hardest area that we are going to need to address? I know you've been working on a, a piece that we're all looking forward to about what Sammy needs to address and prioritise. Which, which area do you think is going to be the toughest to get right and, and potentially take the longest? Well, I think I think Sammy's got to develop a brand for this team because I, I, 
honestly don't think that we've had one for the past few years. And we've been really good at coming. Clyco's been amazing at coming up with a game plan to beat the best teams. But as far as a brand that defines Hawthorne, I just can't can't really put my finger on it. And I think system-based teams are always the teams that are the ones to beat. So that that's why Melbourne's such a... I mean, they've obviously got a lot of talent and depth in talent, but they can replace a player and they know exactly their role. So I think it's it's really it's really getting the team to buy into a system um, and then the depth can kind of come from everyone knowing their role and knowing their place. Um, but I think, I think um, if you, if you wanted to get a bit more granular than that, it's, it's the midfield. And I think fixing the midfield goes a long way to fixing our issues up forward because that delivery in the forward line last year, we could have had Tom Hawkins up there and we wouldn't have kicked many goals. So it, it, it's really getting our hands on the footy and using it well in the middle. Yeah, I'm just cutting out again. I'm, it's it's hard to work out whether it's me because people are suggesting I've had a few issues, but that connection was great. So it was not so great. The, the, the midfield being one of the core focuses. And do you know what? I think we talked about the forwards and some of the issues around what a mess our forward line has been. I think there will need to be an element of um, of leniency given to the fact that, you know, especially through the preseason games, we talk about Mitch Lewis and opportunities and, yeah, he's still got to convert, which he hasn't done through the preseason. But often I've been working with very limited delivery. So fixing, uh, you just mentioned it, Brad, um, fixing uh, the delivery, you know, our precision by foot. Daz talks about having an identity. Well, didn't that used to be our identity back through the through the golden years recently? Our precision with our, All with the our left passing. Footers. All the left footers. And you just knew that every single person was going to hit a target. So um, it, it probably highlights just how much we have to work on now Prinzi you've been quiet for a little bit I want to talk about the fact that in our article you managed to retire Liam Shields and Ben McAvoy at the end of the season talk to us about um, how ruthless you were when you were penning those thoughts down yeah look I Probably don't think it's that controversial. I think uh, McAvoy for the last uh, year or two, I mean, he always looks like he's about to play his last game of footy, I reckon, just the way he sort of moves and how sort of robotic he looks these days. He's still effective, um, but we're we're moving in a different direction, I think. And um, although we will miss his leadership, I think, you know, this is a transition year for Mitchell and he'll appreciate having McAvoy around. But after this year, it's Mitchell's team and he needs to usher in the next generation. And I think um, playing Liam Shields, playing Ben McAvoy, those guys will continue to get games if they're on the list because of their seniority. Um, but we need to start looking to phase them out over the course of this year for the long-term health of our list. So um, it's not that they're not good footballers or that they can't contribute. I absolutely think they can. But if you play a Liam Shields, then you don't play a Connor McDonald. If you play a Ben McAvoy, then maybe Cozzy gets less time in his preferred position or we don't see him a Sanjeka. So 
we need to sort of weigh up over the course of this season what's best for our club going forward. And my opinion is that um, saying to these guys, thank you for your service, um, is what's best. And I'd do the same for Hardigan too if we had somebody else who he was holding out of the team. Um, unfortunately, as we've touched on a couple of times, we don't have that developing, hulking, key fullback that can take the gorilla defenders. Um, but, yeah, I would, I'd move Hardigan on too um, for the overall long-term health of the list if we did. And we heard um, from a source, uh, it came through our um, WhatsApp chat that uh, apparently Sam Mitchell at a function did tell the room that uh, we should probably be prepared for a few very, very difficult years, which probably lends itself to the theory and the understanding that you just talked about that we will see uh, the older guys that are not necessarily part of the longer term plans out of the team earlier. We will see younger guys that are either not completely ready or, but we want to be giving a taste of, of things in the team, playing games that you wouldn't necessarily normally see it. There'll be all of the tinkering uh, and it's going to be a long road ahead. I really welcome those comments from Sam because I think, like we've got to be prepared to lose. Uh, we can't. We can't just be playing safe, safe bets in these positions just because we want to ground out games against better teams. I think we've got to be prepared to to throw young players in the mix. Um, you know, obviously their development's important, and their development along senior play, alongside senior players oh. is important. Can you You're hear me? At very, all? very choppy, Daz, and. On one hand, I'm pretty happy that I'm not worst on ground when it comes to my mic anymore. But, yeah, very, very choppy. So um, we'll try and get that fixed up. Um, Prinzi, just one more thing about the list and um, continuing on from your discussion about the younger players. I think you and I are the only two of the six of us that gave Seamus Mitchell another year on the list. Tell us about him, what you want to see in terms of, I think you've got him round 18, making him his, making his debut this year. So do you want him in the team for the rest of that? And is that actually an audition to save his career or do you see him having you know more years to be able to prove himself on the list? I think you've summed it up perfectly exactly how I feel about Seamus Mitchell. I, I think there's some serious tools there. There's some really good weapons but we just haven't seen continuity of footy and continuity of health for Seamus Mitchell. Um, he came to the club injured in a moon boot with a knee brace. Um, spent most he was a ghost of Glenferry the first the first year, um, and then just as he's about to start playing some footy for Box Hill, the season's cut short by COVID, so he couldn't catch a break last year. He just needs games, and he needs the first half or three quarters of the season at VFL level acclimatising to the pace, the, um, the physicality, uh, and because he's a slight frame, and then working his um, fitness base. And then I'd like to see him for four to six rounds in the back half of the year when there's a little bit of the heat off the season, just to see what he can do at an AFL level and to see if there's something worth persisting with there. Um, that's exactly how I see Mitchell. And do you think he fits into the 
I mean, doing this for the crystal ball, it's hard to say where we finish at the end of the year and the notion of whether or not he becomes um, part of a pure numbers game around how many people we want to turn over on the list, whether he's done enough or still promises to show enough, whether uh, Dan Howe leaves or stays for an extra season and purely looking at how many draft picks we want, how many people we want to bring in, that, that side of things. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's exactly how it will shake out. Depending on what he does will depend on how he's viewed at the end of the year. It could well be that it ends up being a Dylan Moore type situation from a couple of years ago where they don't promise him anything through the trade period. Um, they look to see what they can bring in and then they offer him a spot on the rookie list and he... Um, has basically one last shot, you know, next season to make it work or not make it work. But I, I think um, just because of how far back he's come from injury-wise and body-wise, the tools that he does have and the excitement that he can bring, I think it's a bit of a slow burner. We've got to remember with some of these guys, they don't need to be, um, you know, household names in the AFL, you know, six games into their career. They, they Luke Bruce was a slow burn off the rookie list and has been one of our, you know, greatest players of the of the modern era in terms of his role, um, you know, for a number of years. And Dylan Moore is doing the same. He's showing that if you've got the ability, if you've got the tools in the application, if you're given time to adapt, you can come good. And I, I kind of feel the same about Seamus Mitchell. Uh, and I also think because he plays a bit of a different role and he has a different game than a lot of the inside midfielders that we have on our list, um, I'd be willing to give him an extra year. For sure. Now, Bradley, BG, you've been hanging in there on the line. Welcome. you got a question for the boys? Uh, yeah, just want to say thanks for the, the space tonight as well. Um, my question is, what uh, do you think our midfield's going to look like in the next three years? And uh, what are you expecting and, I guess, hope for this year uh, and our midfield, who, who who do you expect to come through the midfield and how do you want it to play out, I guess, is my question, and what what will be in three years? Well, Brad and Danny are our list gurus. Where, where do you see that midfield? Tell us our starting midfield in four years' time. In how many years' time, did you say? Uh, let's say let's say four. Let's, let's look at um, let's look at it not involving Jager or Titch. Oh, that's that's a really tough question. I think, to be honest, I think, as I said earlier, I think we're going to still hit the next two drafts really hard and get the best at available. Uh, Josh Ward's obviously going to be there. Uh, Warple hopefully will be there still as well. Uh, we really lack, you know, that quality inside uh, midfielders still. So Prinzi would have a better idea than me. I think, in my opinion... Ward, McDonald and Warple are probably three locks, um, you know, say in three to four years' time. Connor Nash is a 50-50 at the moment. I think we're going to see him play early on this season. Sammy Mitchell seems to really rate him quite highly, um, as we saw, you know, in the VFL in the end of last season. Um, but hopefully, you know, we still draft in the next couple of seasons top quality uh, midfielders because... I think we really lack that at the moment. Prinzi, you probably know more than me with, you know, the guys in the VFL. But other than, say, Ward, McDonald, probably Danny, who we haven't seen much of, 
um, who else is there, you know, that's going to be coming through? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think um, I think there's three or four guys that I see in our sort of midfield group, um, and not saying they'll be starting midfield, but they'll be in in the group of eight to ten players um, in three three years' time. Uh, Ward and McDonald. Uh, I'm really bullish on Jai Newcomb. I think he becomes that in and under. Um, grunt player that every good midfield needs and I think once he sharpens up on his decision making with the ball when he goes to kicking um, I think he becomes a really dangerous player because he just attacks the man and the ball and the man with the ball um, harder than most on our list I think there's a real spot for him there and I think Sammy loves him Um, and then I see Sam Butler being part of that midfield rotation in, in three, three odd years time. But I think the thing is, and you touched on it, um, Brad, is that probably the majority of our midfield pieces aren't yet on our list. Um, you know, the, the top end uh, of each draft in the next two to three years, we should be targeting um, at least one midfielder with our top two picks in each draft, um, trying to find those outside classy line breakers like a Bailey Smith, like a Bontempalia Petrarca um, or a Josh Kelly type that can really get the ball as a secondary option and use it beautifully running into, into the forward 50. So that's, I think, where, where we're at. I think we're a fair way away from knowing what our midfield looks. And I think you'll see that there's a few guys here, if we don't count O'Meara and Mitchell, um, there's only a handful of guys on our list at the moment that are probably in that in that midfield. Possibly Will Day. Yeah, Day. I was going to mention Day. We obviously forgot about Day. As I've said previously, he reminds me of a young uh, Nat Fife. He's got that similar build. Hopefully, he becomes the same player Fife, you know, to uh, dual uh, Brownlow uh, medalist. But we really, as you mentioned, Prinzi, we really need to find, you know, um, a bond to Petrarca. We don't have... Ward could hopefully become similar, but he doesn't have that size. You need to have, you know, the top midfielders in the game these days. Paddy Cripps, this season, he seems to be fully fit. You know, he's about six foot three. Bond similar. We just don't have that player, and we really need to find that player. What will be interesting, and I think, uh, thanks, guys, just, just mindful of time, those three guys that you mentioned through that, Prinzi, John Newcomb, Connor Nash, um, and Warps as those potential inside balls, they're all Sammy's guys. And obviously throughout the latter part of the Clarkson era, some of the drums were beating around the fact that he had his guys and liked them. And we know that Warps was somewhat of a protege to Sammy, how closely he worked with him. Um, but the big knock has often been his disposal. You've already mentioned about that with John Newcomb. And so one thing that is interesting for me, I'm oh, sorry, his decision-making and, and uh, you know, some people have, have suggested part of it has been the actual end result of his disposal. What's interesting will be the Robert Harvey effect. And if he's taking them under his wing and, and Sammy's letting go of the reins when it comes to some of the more one-on-one stuff, how much development we get out of having someone like a Robert Harvey in the fold and what that does. Uh, it's probably going to be hard to quantify, but it should make for an interesting watch. Yeah, definitely. I think the um, the way you look at it is if, 
if you look at, and I don't know if people are NBA followers here, but often players come into NBA teams with um, physical attributes, but the inability to shoot. And um, specialist coaches work with them on their shooting mechanics to ensure that under pressure in the heat of battle, they can nail the same shooting mechanics with their shooting with their stroke um, to make sure that it's as consistent as possible. I think with guys like Newcomb and Warple, they've got a phenomenal ability to win a hard ball and they can find the ball in traffic, um, but they often just rush to jam the ball on the boot. And that might have carried them. That might be fine in junior footy or even in the VFL, but it doesn't quite cut it in the AFL because there are so many great interceptors of the footy at AFL level. And if you have a look at Mitchell, when he came in as a player, he was a bit similar, but he worked relentlessly on his kicking ability and turned himself into a dual-footed, beautiful kick of the footy for anywhere from 15 metres to 45, 50 metres. And um, I think that that's what we need, whether it's Mitchell one-on-one or Harvey one-on-one, but these elite midfielders who have gotten the absolute best out of themselves, um, sowing into our younger generation of midfielders, it can do nothing but good for these guys and their career tra- trajectories. For sure. Now, I will ask you all one last question without notice and get any final thoughts from you for tonight. Just before I do that, thanks to everyone who jumped on. Prinzi, well done setting up the Super Coach Leagues. We've got two full Super Coach Leagues, so that'll be Wonderful to watch how that unfolds and no doubt there'll be a bit of banter and chatter across socials as that progresses throughout the year. We're really, really excited that we're back into game day, game week content. We've got so much stuff on Hawks Insiders coming your way, match previews, oppo analysis, selection dissections, player reviews, a whole heap more. We've got an article hitting your inbox tomorrow from Ash around Josh Ward and a cheeky little look at the Rising Star Award. Um, And as mentioned last week, we'll also have our first articles for this year from Rodney Ede and Campbell Brown launching soon as well. Um, Just a note, we will be sticking with Tuesday nights for the next four or so weeks as there is the Wednesday night footy through the first four or five rounds of the season before we go back to Thursday nights. So keep an eye on that. We will be making them available as a podcast to be able to listen to after if you're unavailable. So guys, uh, final word from you all. and, And just one last question, which Hawthorne player are we most likely to see get an All-Australian Guernsey this year? And any last comments, starting with you, Brad? Uh, I think Tom Mitchell's our best chance, but unfortunately, we're not going to win enough games. So I'd be surprised if we had anyone in the All-Australian team. Sicily's an All-Australian player, but coming back from an ACL, I think it's going to take into the second half of the season to get back to his All-Australian form. So... Mitchell would be our best chance, but I don't think we're going to get anyone, unfortunately. For sure. Thanks, as always. Brad Mora, who's your money on? Dylan Moore. Oh, he's elite and he loves a goal. Thank you for jumping in. And that just makes me smile. That just makes me excited. Nice way to finish there. Thanks, Mora. Prinzi, who you got? 
Yeah, I had I had Sicily. I think um, I think if anybody has the real X factor to um, sway all Australian judges, I think it's uh, a full season of Sicily, and he's been on the cusp two years, the last two years that he's played, and injuries crueled him. So hopefully, third year's the charm. Beautiful. Thanks as always, Prinzi and Daz. I hope everyone hears this, but um, I love I love Morris more. Um, selection, absolutely love it. I think he's going to be close, but um, I'm going to say Chad. Oh, that would be beautiful to witness as well. For what it's worth, I'm with Prinzi. I think Sis should already have been potentially a dual All-Australian already if it hadn't have been for injury. He's the guy I'm backing, uh, and then we'll see him taking over the captaincy. As always, thanks, everyone, for joining us tonight. We really, really appreciate the support. Make sure you keep liking and sharing our stuff on Twitter. If you're not subscribed to the Substack, the link is in the bio. Get on board. Can't wait for round one to be bringing you all of the content throughout the week. Hopefully, when we chat with you this time next week, it's with the Hawks 1 and 0. Enjoy the week ahead, everyone. Thanks again, and we will catch you next week. Down the Hawks.